Hello, everyone. Welcome to the final episode of the Righteousness miniseries. It's been such a blast talking to all these different pastors and preachers and thinkers about the concept of righteousness. And I personally think that we have covered a lot of ground. For me personally, I've learned a lot through this series and from talking to other people, and I hope you have too. And so to wrap up, Brian Higgins and I are going to have one final discussion, just working our way through what we feel like we've taken away from this series and just giving some of our final thoughts on the concept of righteousness. So without further ado, here is our wrap up of the Righteousness miniseries. I think something that we haven't covered really that would be good to cover would be Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And one of the key things he says in that passage is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that even mean? Um, what it, I, I know for me, like what I grew up thinking it meant, and I feel like I'm in a different place now. What, what about you? This is the the topic that I think is hardest for me to talk through just because this is the area where I am undergoing the biggest shift in my thinking. Hmm. Cause my whole idea of hungering and thirst for righteousness had a very, like you talked about the Pharisees in mm-hmm. that uh, encounter with the woman caught in adultery, right? They had the concept of righteousness of do right things. Yeah. And that was my understanding of what it meant to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to mm. desire doing right things and yeah. and being good on your own. That was always my idea. And it seemed like it made good sense because I should want to engage in right conversation instead of wrong, destructive conversation. Right. I should want to partake in, you know, doing the right thing instead of desiring to do evil. Because I used to think about it in relation to like Psalm 1, Hmm. where it talks about the idea of, you know, wanting to, the blessed man is the one who avoids, you know, the scornful and the wicked and, and doesn't follow them in their plans, but instead hungers for the things of God. So I I kind of thought the two were related of, you know, hungering and thirsting for righteousness is just wanting to do the right thing. And I'm kind of realizing throughout this series that it's been very easy to have a new idea of righteousness separate from that particular verse in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to me because I went through the exact same thing. I don't even need to repeat it because your experience was my experience. And if I can just kind of share where I'm at now with it, because I think it's one of those things where it's not like, oh, well, everything you believed was wrong. Throw that out and replace Mm -hmm. it with this. I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both and situation. And it's sort of just this thing in my mind of putting the horse before the cart. Because so often we put the cart before the horse. We put the 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 thing that we shouldn't put ahead of everything else. I don't know why we do that, but I do it all the time. Um, so here's where I'm kind of at with it. So righteousness in our mind is often defined as right behavior, but we know from going through this series that the key biblical word, sedeca, is more so about right relationship. And so in that moment when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I truly believe what he's really saying in that moment is, blessed are those 
who look at the world and they look at their relationship with God and they see that it's not right. They see that it's broken and they want that to be fixed. I think the first person that ever hungered and thirst for righteousness was Adam because Adam broke the relationship. He's in the garden and now he's cast out and there's a giant angel with a flaming sword and he once walked with God and now he looks at his relationship with God where it is and how broken it is and he hungers for that relationship to be restored and brought back together and fixed. And I think that is a key, that's the key thing. People who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're hungering for the relationship with God to be right. And Jesus is saying, I'm here, I'm the Messiah. Blessed are you who are hungering for this broken relationship to be fixed because in me, it's going to be filled. That's what he's predicting. I don't know, what, 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 what do you think? So I'm looking at the scripture now. I'm in Matthew 5 on my phone as we talk. And I could be totally wrong on this. I'm just mm-hmm. going to throw this out there. Do it. One, one of the things that I feel like I'm seeing is all of the Beatitudes before hungering and thirsting for righteousness are about recognizing our lowly position. Yeah. And all of the ones afterward are about bringing reconciliation. Wow. So... <laughs> the first one you get is blessed. Like I could be totally wrong. I'm no, just I've, throwing I've this never out seen this before. So I love it. Bring it on. So the first one is blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. Those who recognize they are not enough on their own. Right. You know, poor in spirit is recognizing our own brokenness. Your self-righteousness can do nothing like you're nothing. Exactly. So we're throwing that one out right away. So that that's very much a, a humble posture to take. Yeah. Next one. Blessed are those who mourn hmm. for they shall be comforted. Again, the idea of I'm not celebrating my strong, powerful state. Yeah. I am broken over my weak, lowly position. I'm broken. The world is broken. You're mourning over your own sin. You're mourning over the sins of the world, the broken things Mm -hmm. you see in the world. Yeah. Mm. Next one, very similar. Blessed are the meek, Mm. for they shall inherit the earth. It's not through the arrogant bravado of the world Mm. that we win. It is instead through humility and restraint that we arrive at a good position. Mm. Then you get the one we're talking about now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like we're talking about, they they have that craving for a new kind of relationship. They have right. a, a desire for a new way to relate with God and for the world. Mm. Then after that, now you see this shift to things that we bring out into the world. Blessed mm. are the merciful. Yeah. You know, now it's like, okay, you, you have all of this right. You've, you realize how broken you are. You realize how lowly you are. You are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And the response is, when we do that, we shall be filled. Hmm. So now that we are filled with righteousness, then the three that follow immediately are the merciful, the pure, Peace, in, heart, pure in heart, and the peacemaker. Peacemakers, yeah. Yeah, it's it's your, your mourning, your nothing, and, and your broken relationship is so in front of you, and then you're filled, and now all of a sudden you're able to live the life that Jesus lived, and you're merciful, and you're a peacemaker. Dude, that's blowing my mind. Like, go write a sermon about that and preach it somewhere because that's uh, I, yeah, <laughs> that's, a, I that's had, fantastic. I had never seen in the Beatitudes. I had always kind of read the Beatitudes the way that I read the uh, not the Psalms, uh, the way that I read the Proverbs. Yeah, of just sort of like here's this, the thing: this you rapid be, fire. Each verse thing. is kind of its own thing. Yeah, uh, right. and I'm not kind of reading storyline into hmm. uh, the Proverbs. 
you know, they kind of are individual statements. I, I would read the Beatitudes that same way. Almost like you could just take any one of those Beatitudes and kind of just like put it on a poster on your wall and be like, hmm, blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yes, I should be that. Yeah. Which, yes, you should. But to think that there is an embedded story arc. No. Yeah. I, I to totally the see Beatitudes it. is super interesting. I totally see it. And I think so going back to that original way we both looked at it where we thought, you know, hunger to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It meant to hunger and thirst for the things of God. And as a young Christian, you define that as reading your Bible and praying and going to church. So in my mind, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness meant blessed are those who really just want to read the Bibles and pray and go to church. That's a wrong way of thinking about it if the cart is put before the horse and the end game is just more spiritual activity. Mm -hmm. But here's how we bring it back. So if I am looking at my relationship with God and I see that it's broken and I just hunger and thirst for righteousness, for that relationship to be right, for me to then go and say, man, I just want to read my Bible and I want to pray and I want to spend time fellowshipping with other believers because those things connect me to God and his spirit. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to earn him. Uh, I'm not I'm not trying to earn a relationship with him. I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm not trying to get righteousness, but I'm just trying to live out of this righteousness I already have. And so I hunger and thirst for these things of God, not because I'm trying to earn anything or get anything, but because I just want to experience God and I want my relationship with him to be deeper to me, that's where it plays out. And it's, it's, it puts it all back into that focus again, where it's not like the things that I believed in the past when I was younger were necessarily wrong. I was just viewing them through a wrong lens. Yeah. It, the things that we're learning now are deepening the understanding of what was already there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And, and one of the things, I mean, I'm just, I'm still just kind of thinking through these Beatitudes right now and just kind of like shaping out the thoughts there. Because the thing that's I never asked myself before, if hunger and, th and thirsting for righteousness is doing all of these good things, how come the next ones are all about different relationships? Yeah. You know, being merciful, you can only be merciful to people who have wronged you. Hmm. So it's a relationship word. Yeah. Um, being pure in heart, you know, you could be pure in heart in a bunch of different ways, but the answer to that one is for they shall see God. Yeah. So the idea is by being pure in heart, you have a singular desire. Yeah. And that singular desire is for God. And <laughs> when you have that, you will see him. Right. And then blessed are the peacemakers. Well, you can only make peace when there's chaos and trouble. Right. Absolutely. And it comes through the righteous relationship. When your relationship with Jesus is right, your relationship with other people is going to look right as well. Um, when you're self-focused and your relationship with God and others is focused around what do I get out of this, everything's going to be thrown out of whack. Mm -hmm. Now, here's another important way that I think is actually very important for the cultural moment that we're in right now and also just throughout history. And it's basically... so. I think there's another meaning to hungering and thirsting for righteousness that a Christian can really hold on to. And that's basically when we look at the unrighteousness of the world, what we're looking at is not necessarily like, oh, all of these sins that people do. That's a part of it. But the, the, the core thing is that the world is broken. Like the relationship mm -hmm. between the world and God is not right. And it's not God with his arms crossed saying, oh, you unrighteous people and all your sin. 
It's that sin fundamentally corrupted humanity to their core. There's this wall of separation between God and man that can only be overcome by Jesus. And so our world, I think that even in the non-Christian circles, right now we're in a cultural moment where if you look on the news or you know even comedians and commentators, people are constantly pointing out the broken things in the world. We're constantly hearing about racism. We're constantly hearing about sexism. We're constantly hearing about rape and molestations and sexual assault. We're, we're hearing about horrible things that are happening all of the time. And the world is crying out for righteousness. The world is constantly saying, this is wrong. This shouldn't be this way. People shouldn't treat one another this way. We need to fix this. And so the world actually hungers and thirsts for righteousness. I think that um, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we almost can read it from the perspective of like, Blessed are the Christians that do this. Blessed are the Christians that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the Christians who are peacemakers. But when Jesus came and gave that sermon, there were no Christians yet. So he was speaking to a world and saying, hey, these things that you're feeling, these are actually good things. And I'm where you're going to get the fulfillment for what you're thinking, for what you're longing for. The world wants the brokenness to be fixed. But the problem with the world is is they're trying to create a utopia. This is the problem of both the conservative right and the you know liberal left. They are trying to create a world where they're fixing that brokenness by defining good and evil in their own eyes the way that they see fit. But it's, it's like the cultural commentator Mark Sayer says, they're trying to create a world where it's a kingdom, but there's no king. And that's the big thing when you talk about, I agree the world is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The The hard part about doing that apart from God is you define right as wrong and wrong as right. Yeah. And so when you think about what it means to fulfill your relationship, so much of what we talk about is in relation to who God is. Right. And I am I am not going to fulfill any of my relationships correctly without a proper understanding first of what right relationship with God means. So you have all of these people, like you're saying, who are trying to define right and wrong and do right by each other and say, you know, that is a wrong thing and we must do right by those people. But they're doing it without a foundation of the ultimate right that God is king and that he wants to have loving, meaningful relationship with all people. Yeah. I mean, we see all the time how the world tries to fix its brokenness and fails. Like one one way that I've been aware of recently is the modern feminist movement. And, you know, just... Feminism's come a long way. It, I know people who, you know, 20 years ago, they would have called themselves feminists and they look at the current place of feminism that they see on social media and they're like, I don't want anything to do with that. Mm. Um, a feminist in today's society, they look at women being sexualized and they say, this is wrong. This is broken. We need to fix this. This is not the right relationship to have with right. women in general. But the way that so many do it is they then go and they go to a protest and they do like a topless protest or they basically what they're doing is they're saying, instead of somebody sexualizing me, I'm going to sexualize myself on my own terms and define mm -hmm. when and where I should be. When God's looking at the situation and saying, that's not what I invented sex for. It's for a relationship. It's for a husband and wife in marriage. And so 
the world is crying out for righteousness constantly and trying to fix that. They're trying to fill their hunger and thirst for righteousness with their own definitions of what right and wrong is. But I mean, that's just one example. There's so mm-hmm. many that we could give of the ways that the world does this on both sides of the spectrum. Absolutely. It, it all comes back to what is the most defining relationship that you have. Mm. And when you come up with a new definition other than my relationship with God as the most defining relationship that you have, then what constitutes right and wrong for it are totally going to go in different ways, like you're saying, you know. If my greatest good is having right relationship with God, then all of the other relationships that I have should serve and reflect that. Yeah. And that is part of what global righteousness would really be then. Yeah. And what it's going to be when Jesus returns, because everyone's relationship is going to be restored Mm -hmm. with the king, with Jesus. It's just not where we're at yet. And that's that's one thing that I wish that more pastors would tune into because I honestly see, I mean, you and I both grew up in kind of a conservative environment. Um, I see so many Christians in the conservative camp. They basically look at anybody who's on the left and they write them off. And any idea that person has is considered horrible or stupid. And, and it, they almost talk about them as if they're not human, as if they're just a part of this enemy. But in reality, those people are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I would say sometimes in areas even more so than those on the right, they're constantly like just frustrated with the evils in the world. And yes, they're trying to fix them on their own. I wish that more pastors would tap into the reality that you have this whole group of people that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And the way that we need to reach them is to show them we can't define good and evil for ourselves and try to fix this and have the kingdom without the king you're hungry and thirsting for righteousness everything you're looking for is found in jesus like when when jesus returns he's going to recreate the world and it's going to be a world without war without violence without sexism without assault without rape without racism all of these things that we're longing for as humans and often the left is longing for it's found in jesus and i that's something that excites me the potential of people realizing that and waking up to the reality that the world can't be fixed by their political party. It can only be found in in Jesus is where the, the hungering and thirsting for righteousness can be filled. And I totally agree with that idea of showing people that longing that you have that brings you to this conclusion. It's really a longing for a king. Hmm. It's really a longing for a right relationship with the God of the universe hmm. and not just right relationship as you define it. Yeah. Yeah. I think about you talk about the idea of looking at whoever is against you as part of this inhuman machine. And I think about the way that, you know, abortion gets talked about in churches where, you know, there's this huge divide between the pro-life camp and the pro-choice camp. Mm. And the pro-life camp is looking at the pro-choice people and saying, you are not doing right by these children. Yeah. And, and, and quite often it's like, you're not, you're not even human. Like if you could do this, then you're yeah. basically like an orc from Lord of the Rings is how I see you. You're 
you're horrible. Yeah, and it comes from, like we're saying, this desire for a certain kind of righteousness, a yeah. desire for there is a right relationship we should have with that unborn child. Yeah, it's a human. Like, we we should do right by it and let it live. Absolutely. Completely agreed. And, and that's where my stance is. I know that's where your stance is. Right. One of the things I've begun to learn how to see is that the pro-choice camp is not just saying to pro-lifers, yeah, well, you're wrong and meh. And like that's that's not all they're saying. It sounds more like their argument is to do that is to not do righteousness by the woman who, for whatever reason, feels unable, uh, cornered by this position that they're in. So it's not coming from a, I hate you and I don't like you, go away. It's coming from a, actually, righteousness is to do a different thing here. Hmm. And I think where we go wrong in a lot of conversations today is we don't acknowledge the cry for righteousness, the hunger and thirst for righteousness that leads to the conclusion. Yeah. We just say, well, I don't like your conclusion, so you're wrong. And we shut down all conversation. Whereas I think we would go much further with people who are on the other side of the aisle from us to really dive into, so what is the hunger for righteousness that you feel is not being satisfied right now? Let me learn what that is because then I'll be able to have a real conversation with you. And let me show you how my position comes from a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And then we can talk through how do we accomplish both of these things. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Um, I grew up thinking in very extreme terms about basically everybody that I disagreed with and everybody that my faith community disagreed with. So I saw abortionists as just women that hate babies and want to see them die. And that's their mission. And I've realized the same thing as I've talked with people on that side. I've realized that a lot of them have a lot of pain and a lot of baggage and a mm -hmm. lot of horrible things that have happened in their life. You know, I think of somebody who maybe was raped and got pregnant and, you know, just felt this pressure from their parents to still have the baby and just it felt like it was forced. And while I still think the right thing to do is to have that baby, I, I understand, man, what a horrible situation that, that that girl is going through to dehumanize them and to delegitimize their story and to say, well, because you're wrong, I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say. And you're basically not human and you're a horrible garbage person. Mm -hmm. That's not the way that Christians should interact with these problems. We, we, we carry truth as Christians. Truth needs to be presented in love. And when all we do is just get on Facebook and bash non-believers, I mean, when non-believers see that, what do they think of Christians? Christians are legalistic. Christians are self-righteous. Absolutely. If somebody, if, if I can convince somebody that I passionately disagree with on an issue, that I love them and that I care about them and that my hunger and thirst for righteousness is not just a hunger and thirst for their sinful thing to end, their sinful practice to end, but it's actually more so a hunger and thirst for their relationship with God to be restored. Like that's what I'm after, no matter what their sin is, no matter what they're doing. When I hunger and thirst for righteousness, when I look at this person, it's not this self-righteous, like I've got to condemn this sinner and tell them what they're doing is wrong. But it's, man, this is somebody who's under bondage of the enemy, 
they're not they're not my enemy they're a victim of the enemy mm -hmm. like his chains are around them so the mission here is not to bash them over the head with a bible but it's i want them to know they're loved i want to bring them to a place where they can actually see who jesus is i want their relationship with him to be restored and then i'm trusting that through that experience that that the grip hold that sin has on their life is going to be loosened and they're going to open up their eyes to the truth. And I think part of that is not boiling down righteousness versus unrighteousness to a single decision. Hmm. You know, so we can to continue uh, for a second with the abortion example, you talk about the women where this is coming from a place of real hurt. Yeah. And yet the message can so often be that if you choose life, that is righteous and it undoes all of the other unrighteousness that has led to this decision being necessary. And while I still firmly believe that choosing life is the righteous thing to do, right? righteous and unrighteous comes down to so many relationship factors where it's not very easy to just patently say that is righteous end of conversation that is unrighteous also end of conversation right. there are so many relational factors that work into it that we need to dive into the gray a little bit hmm. and we need to be willing to parse through with people I will acknowledge this as righteous and that other factor of this as unrighteous. Yeah. And we need to be willing to admit that confusion and complication to push towards a relationship that is purely righteous. And that is the relationship God has with his people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think one thing that muddies the water of this is Christians who have fierce political, um, strong, not strongholds. What am I trying to say? Christians that have very fierce political party affiliations in their mind, like a Christian who says, you know, I'm yeah. a Christian first, Republican second, or I'm a Christian first, Democrat second. Oftentimes, like a sports team, you're so invested in defending the honor of your team that like, let's say you're a hardcore conservative and you're talking to somebody and their struggle is, you know, they're wondering if they should get an abortion. And that person starts pointing out like, well, you know, because the conservatives are doing this, women can't afford health care and all this stuff. And you're just your knee jerk reaction is the only thing that matters is I just need to defend my party. And I just need to tell this woman why she's stupid and why actually, if you look at these stats and these facts and these statistics, actually you're, you're wrong. If that's the only goal, we're missing the opportunity to say this is a human and they're hurting right now and they're lashing out. And in their mind, the enemy is, you know, the Republican Party. That's their mm -hmm. enemy. And so they're lashing out at it. When you realize that your job isn't to defend a party or a president or a politician, and when really your role is just to love on hurting people, I something that God gave me years ago is this reality of as I'm watching all these different protests happening on TV, oftentimes, you know, things that I might agree with or things that I don't agree with. The, the thing that he showed me was just the simple phrase of behind every protest is pain. And mm -hmm. every time we see somebody protesting in any way, whether it's with a sign or whether they're just venting to us, there's pain behind that protest. And our job as Christians is not to tell someone how wrong they are. It's to show them how wrong it is that their relationship with God is broken. It's to bring them to a place where they get that they need Jesus in their life and they're willing to open themselves up to that. And then it's the Holy Spirit that does the work of over time sanctifying someone and helping them walk away from views 
or opinions or stances that are actually against the word of God. Yeah, I completely agree. I love the point you bring up about the pain that people are going through that leads them to some of their decisions because in such a real way, righteousness is about the desire to not see a loved one in pain. Hmm. When you think about, you've used a ton of examples through this series, the righteous father cares for his kids in so many ways. And it's coming from a place of, I don't want my child to be hurt by lacking any of these things. Right. So I do all that stuff. A judge wants to be right for the society so that the society is not hurt by a, an improper judge. And yeah. Part of righteousness is recognizing the hurts of others, mm. acknowledging them as real and desiring to show them a path that moves them past those hurts and into the beautiful healing relationship God wants to have with them. Mm. I love that. That's great. <laughs> So as we bring this righteousness series to a close, hmm. I know that you have done a ton of study and research and thinking and considering. Let me first ask you, what do you hope this series accomplished? Hmm. Well, for me, this series really came out of a sermon that I wrote. I'm not sure when I first wrote it. It might have been to go and speak at your camp in Oldbridge, the middle school camp. But when I, when I first started writing this message, the heart that I had was there's so many kids that grow up and they hear these words in the Bible and they just tune out because they don't know what they mean. And as I studied righteousness and as the idea of Seneca, right relationship really came alive to me, and that was primarily through just the influence of the Bible Project and Tim Mackey and those guys, it, it just got me so excited about the potential of what could change in someone's life if they really came alive to the idea that it's right relationship first and then the right behavior follows because people get it backwards so much as we've talked about. They think if I just do all these right things, then I'll be okay with God. I just wanted people to understand because of Jesus, you're already okay with God. So now go and live a great right life because you can, because you have the spirit, because you're equipped to do so. Stop trying to climb the mountain back up to God when you're already there because the cross yeah, it's such a massive difference in the way that those two kinds of relationships work. The one that says, I must earn the love of God. And the one that says, he has made me righteous because he gives himself to me in the perfect relationship. What do you think has been the biggest individual shift in your own thinking through studying and researching this topic? Yeah, for me, it really just comes down to this idea of I am I am right with God because <laughs> um, mm -hmm. so much of my life I felt wrong with him and I was the kid that came forward to so many different altar calls and at camps you know just quietly sat in my seat and rededicated my life to the Lord and just was always trying to get right with God and I think that understanding that I'm already right that he's already made me right because he righted all of my wrongs on the cross like we keep saying it's it's given me so much freedom. And when it comes to sin in my life, when I was younger, it was, I was avoiding sin because I didn't want to lose what I had with God. I didn't want to be cut off. And there was this fear of mm. if I sin, 
I'm going to be cut off and that relationship won't be there anymore. But understanding now that that can't happen and to understand that despite God knowing every sin I've ever committed and ever will commit in the future, he still died on that cross for me. That actually motivates me to want to not sin way more than any of that other stuff. Like mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, man, I love this God. I love, like, I love Jesus. And I like, he's done so much for me. He's forgiven me. He's made me right with God. I don't deserve that. I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt him. I don't want to do anything that's going to break his heart. Um, it's the same way with my relationship with my wife. Like I'm not, I'm not being faithful to my wife and I'm not being a good husband to my wife because I'm afraid that she's going to be mad at me. I genuinely love her and I don't want to do things that would hurt her. And Mm -hmm. that's the relationship I want people to have with God. I don't want people to live in fear of God. I want people to live in fear of hurting the relationship. I I want people to live. I don't know if that sounds right. I, I want people to live with a healthy fear That's not motivated by terror of God, but motivated of love of, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do anything to hurt this person that I love so much. Yeah. The interesting thing about all of this to me is self-righteousness is all about trying to maximize the output of good things you can do. Yeah. If I'm just doing the right stuff, then I'm good. I'm okay. I'm acceptable. That makes me welcomed before God. When you shift the thinking to God has made me right, your, for lack of a better term, your goodness output actually increases. You do more good things. You do more stuff to bring glory to God's name just because you have that motivation right. You have that different way of thinking that frees you from the pressure of I've got to perform and actually helps you do good things at a higher level. So... Mm. Throughout a good chunk of this series, we've been talking about righteousness kind of in isolation. We've been talking about, let's understand this one concept. I think an interesting place to end would be to start building some of those connections. So as as you think about this way of looking at righteousness, what are the other areas of Christianity and of faith and of following Jesus that you see this shift in thinking about righteousness affecting? I think on the one hand, it's moved me to want to do things on the small scale and not just on the big scale. Because for instance, if I'm walking down the street and I see a homeless man and he's begging for food, I can think in my mind, you know, well, he's probably out there because he, you know, is a drug addict and he's not righteous and therefore he deserves my judgment. Like that's the common Mm -hmm. way of thinking. But if I just, if I just isolate that moment and just, if I strip it down to the bare essentials of what is happening, it's, this is a man and he does not have a home and that's not right. God didn't create people to be this way. He's hungry. That's not right. God didn't create people to be hungry. He's looking for love. He's looking for a human to reach out and recognize him. I can do righteousness in this moment by going and buying the guy a sandwich, sitting down next to him and just saying, Hey, what's your story? Here's some food. Mm -hmm. Can I pray for you? And that's not fixing the homelessness problem in the world in that moment. That's not, you know, that may not even be getting the guy saved, but it's doing justice and righteousness in that moment because it's treating a fellow human being as someone who's made in the image of God and giving them love. And if we think if, if the important, the big scale stuff is important. Like I know people who are trying to end 
sex slavery and sex trafficking. That is fantastic. And they should do that. And that is that is doing righteousness in the world because Mm -hmm. you're looking at something broken and saying, this is not right. We want to come alongside and do what we can to fix this. But we can also do righteousness on the small scale when you walk into the kitchen and you see a pile of dishes and your wife has had a long day. You can fulfill the right role of your relationship to that person by loving them and helping them. And we can do that in so many of our relationships. And I think that the Christian life is one that we're called to constantly be looking for ways that we can take moments that are unrighteous and bring righteousness into them. I think peacemaking is a big way too. We we see people in our family and our friends group, they're fighting. Um, things are not right between them. And I think to be a peacemaker, like Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, is a way that we can say, I want to bring righteousness into this relationship. I, I want to... I want to live in a way where I'm calling people into righteousness. That's really what evangelism is. It's calling people into a right relationship with God. Yeah, and and I'm glad you're bringing that up because that's the place where I most most clearly see a connection Hmm. of evangelism in my mind used to be you are doing wrong things, believe Jesus and start doing right things instead of now what we're talking through. Sin is ruining your relationship with Jesus and he wants so desperately for you to have a good relationship with him again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Just such a different way of thinking. Something that you said earlier got me thinking of just that, you know, that biblical concept that gets thrown out a lot in the scriptures about trees and fruit being produced. Mm -hmm. So, Imagine a branch that is just disconnected from the tree and it's on the ground and it's trying so hard to produce fruit. Like it's just like, oh, I need an apple to happen right Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. No matter how hard it tries, it's not going to do what it was created to do because it's detached from the source. But a tree branch that's connected to the tree, it doesn't really even have to try. It just produces fruit because of what's flowing from the source of the roots in the tree. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I grew up as that kid who I saw myself as that disconnected branch. And it was just like, I've got to get back on the tree, you know, and I've got Mm -hmm. it. And I was trying so hard to produce fruit to almost prove to the tree, hey, I deserve to be back on the tree. Look at the fruit that I made. But in reality, it's not about that. It's just about realizing that because of Jesus, you're already connected to the tree. And once you get that, then the fruit just naturally comes, you know, mm-hmm. it's not about trying so hard to produce fruit. It's about just letting the, the righteousness flow through you, which sounds like something that yeah. evil emperor in star Wars would say, let the right, let the righteousness Absolutely. flow through you. Absolutely. And even to continue that analogy, I would look at myself and look at the fruit that I was producing and say, wow, look what I did. Whereas like when you pull an apple off of a tree, you don't look at the one branch that it came from and say like, thank you, branch. What a fantastic branch this is. Look what you accomplished today. Like you take it as a sign that the tree is alive. Yes. And it is the life of the tree that created that fruit, not the individual branch. And So to think through the way that I live my life and to rethink the way that I look at doing the works of righteousness in my own heart and in my own life. One of the things that this series has done is kind of taken the credit away from me. Hmm. It's made it impossible for me to say, look at the stuff I'm accomplishing, but rather it's saying, wow, Lord, look at what your righteous life in us can accomplish. Well, I'm, I'm so glad I had a good effect on somebody. That's awesome. <laughs> 
dude. Thank you so much for being a part of this series. And I'm excited to do more of these. That's our plan with the Good Line podcast. We want to do more mini series. So if you're listening and if you have an idea for a series, send us a message on Instagram and maybe we'll do it. Absolutely. All right. That is a wrap on the Righteousness mini-series. Thank you so much, guys, for listening and supporting us. It's so encouraging to hear how this series has been blessing you. And now it's on to make more series. And if you have a suggestion for us on what our next mini-series should be about, send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. Goodline is a production of Hased Creative and the Calvary Global Network, CGN, We're a nonprofit podcasting ministry run by a team of volunteers, and we seek to bring quality, Jesus-focused content to the body of Christ. For more awesome podcast content, as well as articles, educational resources, and more, check out our website, goodlion.io. And if you want to support our work, please visit goodlion.io slash support. Stay tuned. We've got lots of great new content coming out very soon. So thanks again for listening and supporting us. If you like what we do, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps so much. Thanks a lot, guys. And until next time, this is Aaron signing off.